0: Hey guys, today we're going to talk to Dr. Tim Hunt. Uh, He's a vet and sled dog racer and uh, he's got irons in several different fires. So we're going to give him a call and talk to him about his dog food which is Dr. Tim's uh, which is what I feed by the way and also talk to him about some of the other stuff he's interested in. Um, His vet practice up in Marquette, Michigan and uh, about his uh, racing venues around the country and the world. I found out that he has actually raced around the Alps several times and uh, up in Alaska all the time. And he has a volunteer work where he goes around to Alaskan villages and donates his time and effort as a vet uh, to to help them. So he's a pretty interesting guy and uh, we're gonna give him a call and talk to him about, uh, well, we'll just chat with him for about a half an hour and let's see what happens.
1: Don't forget to protect your ears while you're out shooting. I didn't do it. I neglected that when I was younger, and uh, of course, I did a lot of flying as well. But uh, and now I've got hearing loss on my right side, and uh, probably some on my left. I don't know. I use espamerica.com ear attenuators, form fit, custom molded don't fall out and they work and they protect your ears from every sound over 90 decibels. Any sound over 90 decibels is going to damage your auditory nerve and that damage is not repairable, it's not recoverable and it never gets better and it's cumulative. So, all that being said, young people, protect them while you're young and when you get my age, Every other word out of your mouth won't be what, and your wife won't be aggravated at you. So I'm saving your marriage, basically. So let's go to espamerica.com and uh, go ahead and take a look through the website and take a look at what they've got. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good st- It's good stuff, and it works.
2: I'm here with uh, Dr. Tim Hunt and Dr. Tim. um, I got to know uh, Dr. Tim through his uh, dog food, Dr. Tim's, which is uh, d r t i m. dot com, and uh, I do feed his uh, in the the interest of full disclosure, I do feed his dog food and uh, I'm thrilled with it. So I got talking to another guy, and I said, "Well, why don't we why don't we call him and talk to him on the podcast?" So we're here with Dr. Tim. Hello.
3: Hey Randy, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity.
2: Well, it's it's my uh, it's my pleasure because uh, I've uh, got to got to feed your feed the other a couple of years ago, actually about a year and a half ago, I talked to uh, a Nastra competitor, Scott Townsend, and um, all right, Scott is uh, a big proponent of your feed, and uh, of course he he's got the top dogs in the country, uh, the top dog right now, Jimmy, a uh, English Pointer. Mm-hmm. um so uh when he told me about it i i reached out to you and uh i started to feed uh your feed and uh, i'm just absolutely thrilled i've been through a complete hunting season now um two actually com- uh, hunting seasons and i've never had a, a feed uh that i could just feed dry if i need to to my dogs and after even two weeks on the road they tear it up don't no questions asked they just just no, nobody's off their feed at all ever, and uh, which is unusual. Good.
3: And, Good. That's uh, yeah, cool. That's great to hear. They
2: really do like it. So let me ask you a little bit about your uh, background. And I know you went to Michigan State University Vet School, and uh, you ended up doing some other stuff, but ended up with sled dogs, of all things. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's correct. I graduated from state in 89, uh, so it's been 31 years now. And when I got out of school, I had no interest in sled dogs nor nutrition, and I found myself um, into that six or seven years after graduating because I opened up my own practice and I started looking for clients, and there were some sled dog kennels here in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And I approached them to work with them, and little did I know that I would fall in love with working with sled dogs, but little did I know that mushers don't have any money. So what ended up (laughs) happening is a, a barter for services um, and I'd work on their dogs, and they would give me rides and take me on camping trips and stuff, and that led to getting my own dogs once I started to realize how much fun it was working with these sporting dogs, and that was back in, like, 94 or so, and then soon it went from four dogs to eight to 16 and so on. I started to race instead of just vetting uh, sled dog races, and I thought as a young buck who was all athletic and everything, it'd be easy to win, and I found out it wasn't easy to win. As you know, it's not so much about oh, the driver, it's, it's about those dogs, and what do we make those dogs, you know, how do we get them to perform better? And it took a while to realize how much nutrition played of such an important part in it. And I started to emulate some of the more successful kennels out there, sled dog-wise, as the feeding regimens, and then I started adding my own witch's brew to it, and pretty soon I had quite a concoction of things in my garage going with a, a cement mixture. My wife came in one day and said, what are you doing? Why don't you just make this into one food and keep it simple? And that's what we did, and that's how our first food and 2004 came about the momentum was all the stuff we did in the garage we put into a kibble and we had a balance with a nutritionist and we came out with that kibble and got it into some hands of some other kennels and and then refined it from there and over time what we learned from that food we applied across the board to other life styles of dogs and and it really does work and the sled dog food is still going the did around running this week and you know for instance the food's done so well it's won five out of the last eight Iditarods, um, and those people buy the food. I don't even give it to them. So that's always a good testament that the food works. But people do pay attention to the sled dog community, like sporting dogs like yourself. And if we can prove it in those high RPM kind of situations of sled dog sports, you know, field trial hunting and sporting dogs really can benefit from that same premise of of nutrition. And it's been really fun, man. As a veterinarian, I still practice full-time here. We have a five or six doctor practice now and I still practice full time and do the pet food. Um at the same time and it's just rewarding to get emails from people that are feeding the food like yourself or someone in Arizona and they send pictures of just so how the dogs look and how they recover from, you know, weekends of hunting and, and oh, so yeah. on. it's yeah. really fun to and rewarding as a veterinarian to, to get that response. Well so tell
2: what is the name of your practice and where is it?
3: Uh, It's called Bayshore Veterinary Hospital, and it's in Marquette, Michigan. Marquette's on Lake Superior, so we get a lot of snow. We have long winters, and uh, just really nice people. Yeah,
2: yeah. I was actually – I hunted up there in the U.P. just uh, a couple years ago, and I passed very, very close to you. Didn't know it, of course, but I was – I hunted all through that area, and then I uh, went across the bridge down to southern Michigan and, and hunted at Scott's place down there. He's in Atlanta, Michigan. Yep. And, yeah, uh, that's a nice
3: area,
2: too. Had a wonderful time, a wonderful place to grouse on up there in Michigan. But um, so I, I feed Pursuit. I have Brittany's, and I feed Pursuit, and uh, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. One thing Scott told me, he said, Randy, do not, do not overfeed your dogs. They will blimp up like balloons in a hurry because the feed is so absolutely digestible. Uh, you know, they're really going to get every every calorie out of it. And, uh, you yeah. You know, I wasn't used to that, and I, I mean, I, I feed the top feeds. I've fed so many top feeds around, you know, that it, it, that just didn't make any sense. But it's true, the digestibility is incredible, and uh, so
3: exactly. And that's what I, I, it's all about. You know, what I learned from the sled dog arena is those sled dogs uh, like are running the for twelve and fourteen thousand calories a day. That's like thirty big macs. It's a ton of calories, and we have to put it in them in such a way that they can digest it. So we need maximum digestibility of the kibble along with everything else that goes into their diet. And when I consider formulating a diet, I look at it like an orchestra. i got 100 seats or 100% that we need to fill up in that bag of kibble, and I want every seat to be playing an instrument that's actually we can hear. And the ones that can't play to me are filler, okay, or unusable space. And so I want to minimize that. So I want to use ingredients that are highly digestible, that have a purpose or a function. So every every ingredient that has a functional quality to it, you know, what does it bring to the table, and then we use enough of it so it's actually usable and functional, not just window dressing. And then lastly, we want to have great stools that come out of that dog despite working or sitting around the house, and how that happens, that's why sporting food is made the way it is, is we have to allow that digest, digestion to happen, and we can kind of alter it with the way we formulate the fiber composition, right. um, amongst some other things. So what you saw with your dog was exactly what we want to see, is that they eat it when they're tired. They poop solid despite, you know, being active. And then um, we see the results, you know, out on the course and how their coat and muscles look and so on. So yeah, the proof's yeah. in the poop um, or the pudding, you want to say. We don't want to see pudding poop, but we want to see poop. That's good, right? Yeah. So the proof's in the poop.
2: So what uh, – do we need to add any supplements? I mean, that's a temptation is there. Yeah. You know? It sure is. Yeah. So I add a joint supplement to mine, but after reading your – getting on your website and reading your ingredients – i wonder if it's really all that necessary.
3: Yeah, I don't know if it's all that necessary. Um, I think the fatty acid profile we have in the food, the omega-3 specifically for marine sources, are really beneficial for joint health um, in the majority of dogs. Adding joint supplements isn't going to do any harm. It just uh, brings some building blocks to the plate for those dogs to to utilize. And joint supplements work in some dogs and not in others. So I don't think it's a complete waste of money. Um, I don't have any um, joint supplements in the food per se, like glucosamine and such, because if we're going to use it, I prefer to recommend using it as a supplement like what you're using right now. As external supplements besides what's in the food, I don't think we need a ton of extra fish oil and and the like like that. I tend to look at supplements for recovery, and I tend to really go by the the credo that we have to get glycogen replenished properly with these sporting dogs when the opportunity presents itself when um, the day is done, when exercise is done. So to me, supplement post-exercise is probably the most important thing, and we usually use some sort of a glycogen replenishment um, okay. protocol for that.
2: Right, right, yeah. And I do that as well, and uh, cool. I've noticed that that's just critical. So, Absolutely. Do you, um your ingredients, where do you get them from? I mean, you get them from China? Where, where do they come from?
3: Yeah, on our website, we have all of our ingredients listed as to where they're sourced. Uh, we don't get anything from China. As a vet, I've been through the problems with different ingredients that came from China that led to trouble, you know, back in the mid-2000s. Yeah. I think it was several different times with the melamine and stuff. So our sourcing is primarily from North America, but some stuff does come from outside of it. Canada, um, um, Alaska is considered its own country if you go up there, so we have some Alaskan stuff. We have one ingredient, taurine, that comes from Japan. Some of our vitamins come from Europe. So nothing from China, so we really watch – Watch that, and we do follow up on our sourcing, and then try to be as transparent as we can with listing everything on our website as to where it comes from. I have a really good relationship with the plant that makes our food, so I always stay up to date if there's any changes with ingredient sourcing. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. I noticed the dog food advisor really loves your feed. Um, you know. They, yeah, they
3: they, they listed made us made it, pretty high.
2: Yeah, oh, one year, well, it was just
3: it was number it
2: was one. Recently, number one, exactly. Yeah, it was pretty high.
3: Yeah, so, I can't uh, get much higher than that.
2: So I've got a female that had Pyometra when I was in Montana, uh, a year and a half ago. And, uh, long story there, but my vet said, Randy, take the dog back, get her spade today. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Pyometra, but now mm-hmm. I do. And so we had her spade on the spot. Basically, I took her into the local vet and we did it. Good. So, uh, got her back. She hunts great. had no problems there. Um, but she really started blimping up and, I'm down to, I'm seriously, I am down to about a cup a day <laughs> from her. Uh, yep. she's not, she's not, uh, 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 what do I say? She works out. I mean, I take her out and I run her just like the other dogs. But boy, okay. she's putting on the weight. Uh, I don't know whether to change feed to something, you know, not as high powered or to work her more or,
3: Sure, just, great question. Yeah. And one thing to consider is when you do spay or neuter your dog, their metabolism does slow down. Usually by 20% is what I've always kind of gone with.
2: Wow. So it does wow. slow
3: down, so you have to feed less according to that. And with the pursuit, it's a 20% fat-type inclusion, and fat's really important for a sporting dog. So you get into this quandary of she needs less of that food because her metabolism slowed down. they not have that level of fat and protein available in their diet. How do I handle it? And how as an Italian mother like yourself, how do we feel comfortable feeding three quarters of a cup twice a day to that dog and she's looking at you with those big old black eyes? Yeah, you know, yeah give me exactly. some more, right? That's the toughest yeah. thing. Yeah. So, you know, barring anything else like a thyroid issue or some sort of a hormonal deal, it does come down to just feeding less. Of that food, or you can start to do a mix. So if you took that pursuit and mixed it, let's say, with the kinesis, which is a little less fatty, maybe did a 50-50, you can do some blends like that, maybe to give a less caloric, dense um, food to her um, and see if that helps. And we're about to enter the off-season, too, Um, so maybe that'll be an opportunity to even go to a lesser-fat food. For the off season. Now one thing to remember if we do change food so I don't forget this train of thought of mine, which will fleet out of my head if I don't say it, is in the off season where people go wrong is they go to cheap foods that are real low fat, try to save a buck, and it really helps to stay in the same food year round for their metabolism and system to stay primed, you know, to go back to exercise. It takes a while for them to acclimate to food and also their cell system is such where High fat will make them more efficient the longer they get exposed to it. You can actually increase the VO2 max, how they process oxygen by a high fat diet in, you know, present it to a dog. So if you don't stay on that food year round, what you need to do is to consider going to that food you're going to feed in the hunting season at least a month ahead of when you start training. It takes mm-hmm. them that long to get used to it. And ah. it might not be in the stool that you see, but it's at the metabolism level that, you know, you don't understand unless you're a scientist kind of deal. Um, and just trust me, it takes a good month. I saw it with my sled dogs and many other people have too. Use that high powered food a month ahead of when you start, pr- um, really pushing them on training and you'll see a huge difference with how they respond. Wow. One month.
2: That's, yeah. yeah. I don't, yeah. That's, uh, wow, that's interesting. And I'll definitely start doing that as well. Yeah. Um, if yep, I saw uh, with
3: my sled dogs, I was able to sh- um, shave off my training by a whole month when I started doing that ahead of time. I was able to get them to a certain point much quicker, um, safely, when I started to adjust their diet. I didn't realize it either until I saw the, the proof and what others had told me and showed me too. So. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. Wow, that's, that is very interesting. In fact, I'll, I'm going to fly that next year. The problem down here is that, that one month prior is in August. And yep. uh, I live in Georgia, and it's hotter than four hells down here in Georgia in, Georgia in August. You. But, but you, know, that's, you know, we're just going to have to bite the bullet because they need to be ready in September. So
3: Yeah, just, just feed them less, but get them exposed to that ratio of fat and protein. It really will pay dividends. I'm not a big believer in a hot diet so much. You know, it's a warm um, place you live in August. Just feed less of it, and they'll be okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. we can do that too. So we don't have a whole lot of time left. I know you have okay. to you another appointment here shortly. But let me ask you about your um, your work in Alaska. You go up there and volunteer your time in those villages up there. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's correct. So when I was up there working as a vet and then when I ran the Iditarod um, a few times, I saw what was kind of going on in the villages and the native villages, both on the coast with the Eskimo villages and interior with the – Native Indians, and a lot of times the veterinary care is just not available at all. They have to fly their animals out quite a distance to, to get anything done, lots of loose dogs and so on. So um, two other people and myself started in 2012 um, with a spay-neuter program that we travel around and fly into different villages or take a boat up a river to offer spays and neuters and vaccinations to these rural communities. And to date, we've done between four and 5,000 spay-neuters. There's other vets involved, too, and then vaccinated, you know, three times that many so wow. it, it's been very rewarding. Every year we have we have uh, different exploits or trips, I should say, that go year round. I'm going up sometime this summer. I don't know when, but again, there's other vets that do it, and we're able to get on some National Geographic thing There's shows. Yukon vets coming up here, I think next month, and they're going to show us on that show. So yeah. it's kind of neat, um, and people can kind of see what's going on. But it, that's really rewarding. It's really fun to see the little kids um, get an opportunity to see this profession, you know, right in front of their face, you know, they get to sit there and watch a surgery. So maybe one day we'll get a veterinarian. that will come out of there, but at least offering another option to the pets that wouldn't have any choice for health concerns other than maybe something that's made out of steel. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: really? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, I appreciate it. I know you got to go, uh, if you don't yeah. mind, one of these days we'll call back and try to continue this and, uh, I really, uh, I really do appreciate your time and effort. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Oh, you Tim. You're welcome.
3: I... Yep, no okay. problem. If anyone has questions, they're welcome to email me directly through our company, Dr. Tim's uh, Pet Food, and I answer all the emails. So I'm happy if there's any follow-up questions. And Randy, I appreciate the time.
2: Okay, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you later.
0: Thanks, guys, for listening to my podcast, A Bird Hunters Thoughts Turn Them Loose. I'd like to encourage you to uh, like, subscribe, and share the podcast. Also, go to my um, blog, my website, abirdhuntersthoughts.com, and on the right hand side, you'll see all my sponsors, and you can select at will, especially ESP America. Also, my book, Endless October, there's a link there. And you can buy it as a Kindle edition, as a paperback, and as an Audible edition. You can get it at Audible or ACX. Listen listen to it while you're on your way to bird hunting. It'll get you all psyched up. But thanks a lot, and uh, until next time.